Hi, I'm Stathis, your host. Before we jump in this episode, let me introduce DevRelX. DevRelX is a hub for developer marketing and DevRel professionals. Stay home while DevRelX brings you rich content to boost your DevRel game. Access developer population insights, news, job openings, and more. Discover how to empower developers and grow communities at devrelx.com. Today's episode will start with a quote from our guest. Developers are the critical part here. And that's why moving quickly and helping developers um, understand what your product or your technology is and using developers as your competitive difference maker is so incredibly important. Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, a podcast from Slash Data. I'm Joe Stitchbury, one of the senior analysts in the team, and today I'm joined by Adam Fitzgerald. Adam, we've not met before, so I'll give you a short description of my background, and then I'll ask you to tell me and the listeners about yourself. I have a fair amount of experience as a developer. I was um, a mobile developer back in the early days of Science Software and Symbian, and I've also worked for Nokia, plus a number of publishing companies. These days, I'm into technical writing. Um, which I started when I realised just how difficult it was to find good explanations of difficult subjects. I've worked with a number of teams to grow developer portals and develop um, content to attract and retain developers. We worked together recently on a book, um, Developer Marketing, The Essential Guide, um, but we've not really met before, so perhaps could you tell us a bit about your um, bio and your background, please? Yeah, sure. So. Um... I work for Amazon Web Services and have done for the last five and a half years. I'm responsible for a few things at Amazon, including um, the developer marketing, uh, technical evangelism. Uh, I also am responsible for startup marketing and uh, uh, some aspects of enterprise strategy as well. Um, so it's a handful of things to do. Um, but I've been in the developer marketing and relations space for most of the last 15 years at various companies. And um, I think developers are an, an incredibly important part of not just the technical ecosystem, but overall for the business, um, uh, you know, general business. I think developers are the future for all businesses. And uh, the companies that embrace and understand developers are the ones that are most likely to be successful. And so I think it's a great place um, to spend uh, your energy trying to help developers become successful. And that's been my big motivator for the majority of my career. So before you were in your current role, where, where were you? Um, so I, yeah, I'll give you the, the, try to give you the express version. Um, I started off as a mathematician at the University of North Carolina, um, but I, you know, eventually I grew a little bit tired of sort of the academic work and I was already writing software for fun and um, and also as part of my research and a friend of mine had a startup that was uh, teaching software development as well as building an object relational mapping tool and he asked me to join and um, I went to work for him shortly after I joined the company we were acquired by uh, BEA systems and I worked for them for seven years uh, starting off initially to teaching Java development um, for a few years and then WebLogic server administration and you know, business process management and web services and service-oriented architectures and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, I wound up becoming an evangelist for BEA. 
In fact, I wound up being the demo guy for WebLogic Server for about a year, uh, working directly for the CTO and doing demos at large events like Java One and BEA events. That led me to take over the developer marketing responsibility for BEA, a program we called dev to dev um, And at the time, there weren't that many other companies that had developer marketing programs. It was pretty much Microsoft, Apple, and us. So it was a very small universe of companies that really were dedicated to thinking about developers. Um, I left BEA in 2007 to join uh, SpringSource, um, which was an open source Java company created by Rod Johnson, who was the creator of the Spring framework. Um, this was a fantastic time, super exciting for me. Spring was totally disrupting and changing the Java market. Um, and uh, it was a great opportunity to go to a place where we developers were the forefront of what mattered to the business. Um, so I worked with uh, Rod and the Spring Source team for several years. We were acquired by VMware in 2009, and I took on the responsibility to run the developer relations um, efforts for VMware across their Layer 2 business. Uh, that later became the product that you may now know as Cloud Foundry, um, and I was part of the spin-out from VMware into uh, Pivotal, and uh, I left uh, not long after that, in 2013, to join AWS, largely because you know AWS was a company that spent a lot of time thinking about developers, and uh, developers were clearly a critical part of their business. And uh, I knew a few people that were already working at Amazon, and I had a chat with them about it, and uh, it was a great opportunity to come over and join a company that saw developers on their critical path to success. And it's been a really uh, fantastic and engaging last five and a half years working for AWS. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And you really have worked your way up from, you know, development all the way through. So I think it makes a difference. Some people say you don't really need to have been a developer, but I do think if you've been there yourself, you have a, a different perspective and maybe a different way of talking, um, which can, you know, help with the, um, just with communication. Do you think, um, when you were a mathematician, did you think you'd end up in this kind of area? And you know, how do you think your younger self would see see you now? Uh, yeah, I don't no, no, there's no way as a mathematician I ever thought that this was ever going to work out. <laughs> uh, my concept of myself didn't look anything like this. Uh, you know, I was very much on the academic path, looking at faculty positions, teaching, you know, undergraduate mathematics, that kind of thing. Uh, so, like, yeah, the earlier version of myself wouldn't recognize where I am now. Um, but there is something I'd say that sort of, uh, you know, does sort of bridge across the two. And that was, like, in mathematics, there's an awful lot of uh, value in understanding the abstractions of uh, different types of mathematics. Like, lots of people get caught up in the details of mathematics and way down in the weeds and you know, uh, implementing individual tests or looking at particular numerical analysis or understanding particular partial differential equations. But my strength was always in mathematics was looking at the more abstract elements and sort of um, taking commonalities across a whole class of different things and looking at them in a different way. Um, and that's very, very true in the technology space. If you look at the sort of like the big movements um, over the last, you know, five or six years, whether it's in machine learning or containerization or serverless computing, they're all really abstractions away from the individual implementation details 
to get to higher level constructs that allow you to operate more effectively. Um, and so if you're not afraid of diving into the details, but willing to see through uh, the trees to see the actual forest, then that becomes really useful. And um, I'm far from a hands-on keyboard coder these days. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to be implementing very much. Uh, but um, you know, the, my background, both mathematical and technical, I think uh, gives me the ability to sort of get in touch and organize the new technology uh, logically in my mind in a way that makes sense for me. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's where my, the mathematics has been a strength for me. I see. Yeah. I think I took a similar path to you in that I was also in academic, um, I was in academic chemistry and I was postdocing in the lab and spending hours a day standing in the lab, cooking up various things. And, um, it just happened that I was reading the guardian one Saturday and there was a, a job advert for Scion software. And I thought, you know, I might give this a try. And they offered me a job and I switched. And I don't know, I mean, in, in many ways, it was a fantastic opportunity. But because I didn't have a degree in computer science, I didn't have any real qualification. I taught myself C by sitting in the library at Imperial College and um, when I was supposed to be cooking up chemistry um, and, you know, learning C. And I always felt like you hear this, it's got the label imposter syndrome these days. At that time, I didn't, I didn't really know what it was, but I never really felt like I knew what I was doing and everybody else did because everybody else, you know, must have learnt it at university or something. And looking back now, the thing that I really want to tell my younger self is that actually nobody else really knew either because the subject itself was evolving. C hadn't been standardised at that point, so nobody knew what it was. What, what do you think you would tell your younger self? Um, the mathematician who's just, you know, starting to teach people Java in your friend's company. Yeah, I, I would say, um, I think there's a fundamental part to this, which is kind of true for, I mean, you know, maybe I'm generalizing too much here, but it's kind of true for all the developers that I know. And that is, you know, curiosity is the most important part of being a developer. Like technology moves so quickly. Um, that you can't just sit there and be like, I'm only going to do exactly what's been done for the last 10 years. You've always got to learn something new. Maybe it's a new language. Maybe it's a new framework. Maybe it's a new area in which the technology is operating. Maybe it's a new platform, whether it's cloud or mobile or whatever it is. But it doesn't matter. This is not sitting still. No technology is sitting still. And so if you're a curious person, if you're interested in looking and learning about something new, then this is great this is a great thing to be doing. And that was, that was me in a nutshell. Like I was very restless in, you know, in academia. Um, I was always looking for something interesting. And I got, I basically got that first job because I self taught how to build like a website in Perl and, um, you know, put myself all the database stuff. And I actually ran a fantasy football website off the math department computers for like <laughs> three years without anybody knowing. Um, and, uh, that's, <laughs> and that's and that's that's the that's what got me the interview at my friend's company. He saw my saw the things that I built um, and was self taught, and uh, that was what gave him the confidence that I could, you know, not just be an academic but um, be somebody that works in technology. So, I really think um, you know, thinking about what is the next thing you want to learn, what are you curious about. One of the opportunities to develop and extend yourself is a really 
driving force for a lot of developers. And I've been very fortunate at Amazon. It's a great place to do exactly that. Um, not only is the platform uh, AWS like very, very broad and covers a whole spectrum of services and areas. So I've over 140 services that cover IoT, robotics, machine learning, data analytics, mobile, just about anything you can think of. But there's also a part of the culture here where uh, Amazon really invests and thinks about people that have this curiosity element to them. Um, there's a collection of leadership principles Amazon espouses, and one of them is the learn and be curious leadership principle, where we expect the people that work at Amazon to take the time to go dive deeply into new areas and work out what's happening there, understand it, how it applies to the, what they're working on. And it's just a driving force for the people that um, work at the company. So um, curiosity, I would say, is the one thing. Like, keep being curious. Uh, mm. It's the one thing that I would keep reinforcing to my younger self. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good one. And I wish I'd told myself that actually I shouldn't feel guilty about sitting in the library learning C, that it was definitely the right thing to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> So I think I've mentioned imposter syndrome, which I see as a big challenge that I've had to overcome. What would you say is a challenge that you've had? I mean, the book, when we um, wrote it, was all about challenge. It was all about the journey in developer marketing. We ask every author in the book to describe not just the things that went right, but the things that went wrong, what they learned from it, um, and pass on you know, basically everything that is there from their experience, the good and the bad. What would you say has been your biggest challenge and, and, you know, what have you learned from that? Yeah, so I'd say, um, I would say overall the biggest challenge I've faced over the multiple places I've worked is getting business people to understand the value of talking to developers. For those of us that have done software development or understand or believe that software is central to uh, the innovation and the uh, capability of today's modern businesses. It would seem like sort of self-evident that developers are on this critical path of business success. So like for us, it's like, why wouldn't you talk to them? It's the obvious thing to do. But quite often you wind up in situations and, you know, not necessarily always because uh, people don't understand but they're just not aware. You, in situations with business leaders, they're like, I've got to make the number, I've got to hit this target, there's a sales thing, there's a Wall Street expectation, there's something we need to deliver. And when you say, well, I want to go talk to developers, and they're like, well, what is that developer worth to me? What does that mean to me? That doesn't help me. Why aren't you helping me achieve some other kind of goal? They're not buying anything. And so like, helping, the biggest challenge I've had, I've faced, is I've been fortunate in some places where they, you know, Amazon Web Services and Spring Source, where they totally understood that developers were a critical factor. Or other places I've worked were like, yeah, you know, I, do your developer marketing thing, just help me get to my sales number, and, you know, I won't bother you. The biggest challenge has always been, no, you really need to understand that talking to developers is a critical part for what means business success. A developer actually means something to you. It, it even means that, the solution you just sold to your customer is actually going to get implemented in the correct way and become successful for the customer, or it's actually going to result in more usage of your underlying product because developers actually operate at scale. They don't just say, I'm using this one thing. They say, all right, I've made it worked once, so let's use it a thousand times. Or it's uh, potentially by 
engaging with developers, you actually open up your ecosystem to expose yourself to new customers or new opportunities that you wouldn't have before by adding a new API or adding a new interface to whatever it was you were creating. And so helping the business understand the value of developers has sort of been the biggest thing that I've faced again and again in lots of different places. And even in places as forward thinking as AWS or at SpringSource, there's still a very reasonable question to ask, which is what does a, an, the next developer mean on this platform? What is their value? What do, they, what do they actually mean to us? So understanding developer values being sort of like the crux of, I think, my introspection or the biggest lesson learned I've had in the years I've been doing developer marketing. Having a really concrete understanding of what that value means to the business is the key way to talk to other members of the business team and key ways to talk to leadership about how to fund programs that really engage with developers. Mm, I see. Yeah. I was um, writing a blog post last week about um, developer relations and developer marketing. And um, one of the, you know, one of the things I was trying to write about was how you measure success um, and certainly with developer relations, that's a very difficult one because you're talking about building connections. It's not a particularly measurable activity. Do you have metrics? What What is your view on, on KPIs and metrics so that you can talk to the business about the value of individuals or groups of developers? I think it's really important for people in developer relations and developer marketing not to be religious about or you know um zeal overzealous about this is the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do and therefore it you know mm. it, you know you should listen to right um you have to come with a business sensibility you are for most organizations you're a cost center you're costing the company money either by your salary or by the programs that you're executing or something you're you're costing the company money and so you should understand that the things you do have to deliver a, a commensurate value back to the company. And that the KPI and the value depends upon how your company is structured. Um, what does your company sell? What does your company do? What is, it, what is it that matters? So like, for example, if you're selling package software, then what does one developer mean? Are they a buyer of that software? Are they an implementer of that software? Are they somebody that uh, access you know makes the software successful so you can get more revenue for the customers or can you sell more licenses um there's a great example of this like back you know like i said developer relations has been around for a while the, it wasn't done by very many companies but when i was a um, bea i remember chatting with some people at microsoft and they were very clear that developers are important because they produced more people consuming windows licenses and they actually had a model at the time that said one developer produced the sale of seven new Windows licenses because of the uh, people consuming the software right. that that developer created. And that put a characteristic value around that developer that they could then go take to the business. So like, we know how much seven new licenses of Windows software is to us. Therefore, going and grabbing a developer or engaging with the developer, we know what the value is for that, that developer. Similarly, when I worked at SpringSource, you know, SpringSource is an open source tool, right? It was used freely by millions of Java developers around the world. So it wasn't actually, each individual developer themselves wasn't actually that valuable. 
to the business because the business wasn't selling spring. The business was actually selling a um, industrial strength version of Tomcat for enterprises to use that was much cheaper mm -hmm. than WebLogic Server or WebSphere. So the value of the developer was very small, but the value of the developer audience in aggregate was the path through which we could go sell um, Tomcat because by using Spring, it made Tomcat equivalent to these full-fledged J2E containers. All you needed was Tomcat. You didn't need all the heavyweight application servers. So understanding what the developer meant to that business was very different than, say, in the Microsoft case. And then if you look at things like AWS, each individual developer winds up creating an account on AWS. And there's a generous free tier, but it expires after a year. So at a certain point, your credit card is going to get charged for the things you're using on AWS. So AWS understands what your charging characteristics are. We understand what the average spend is on the account. We understand what services you're using. So it's very much an as-a-service model where we can define a customer lifetime value for that, for that developer. And so the question about what is a developer worth can be answered much more empirically than it could have done in either the Spring Source example or the Microsoft example, right? So, you know, it depends on what business you're working for to understand what is the, you know, the, the you know, key performance indicator, what is the critical measure that you're interested in. For me, it is, you know, you've got to be able to answer for the business, what is the next incremental developer worth to the business? If you can answer that question with some kind of accuracy or some kind of real knowledge, then you can use that as your argument to the, you know, the board or the CEO or your leadership and say, hey, this is what the developers are worth. This is what they do. This is what they deliver to the business. Therefore, in order to gain more of these developers, you should fund me at this rate. You should give me these resources to accomplish that task. And so, um, you know, you can use the same argument about, uh, you know, whether it's like writing documentation or running events or doing webinars. They all have something, some incremental value that changes the way that developers engage. If you know what the value of the developer is to your business, then you can use that to work out what you're going to be doing to change those different channels or invest in those different channels. So that's the, for me, that's, you know, it's not much of a KPI because I've given you a depends answer, but it depends on who your employer is. It depends on who your business is. Um, you've got to work a lot of those things out. There's not one answer uh, in all of developer relations. Mm, I see. And it does seem very much that it's about the business recognizing that and recognizing the value of developers. Yeah, which is why I feel like I've had the same argument every company I've been at, which is developers are important and this is why. And this is why. Like, because that's the conversation you have to have. And if you're in a situation where uh, the leadership doesn't believe that, um, then you're going to have a hard road. Right? You've mm -hmm. got to do a really good job of convincing them of why developers really matter. Um, and it depends upon what the product is. Like, you know, a developer is very, very different. Um, each individual developer is very different. I see a lot of businesses these days are in this as a service model, right? So a lot of, you know, whether it's uh, software as a service or platform as a service or infrastructure as a service, and they actually think the as a service model is a lot easier to, um, to compute like developer value because you do have this 
you know, customer lifetime value computation you can do on trailing spend over multiple months. So those things are very, very, it's very, very easy to, to start thinking in that direction. But there's still plenty of companies that sell like package solutions or solutions to mobile, like libraries get de delivered on mobile devices that, you know, that just aren't, that don't look like that. Or they could be like, you know, companies that think they that want to make a partner ecosystem. And so they're looking at developer relations to build integration points that allow other partners to integrate with them. And the model there is completely different than thinking about it as an as a service model. So there's a, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different challenges in developer marketing overall. And you know, I, I wouldn't pretend to understand, you know, each marketer's, you know, you know, individual challenge. I would, I would say, okay, what is your business? Let's sit down and talk about your business. Let's sit down and work out what does a developer mean to your business? And then we can start talking about what your KPIs are and what things really matter to your business and how you'll demonstrate you're providing value. Mm, that's really interesting. Yes, thank you. I think you're going to have a queue of people wanting to talk to you about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to understand your business. Sometimes that's kind of <laughs> opaque too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's move on um, to talk briefly about the book that we, we worked on because it's been a number of months since that was published at the uh, Future Developer Summit in um, 2018. So it's a book that pulls together a huge range of experience from a number of people that work at different companies representing either the company or just talking more about their personal experience. We've had um, you know a range of contributors come on the podcast talking much the same way. Um, what, what was it you worked on the forward for the book, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So actually, I was at the <coughs> Future Developer Summit in 2017 uh, when Andres, Nicholas, and I were like talking after the event, um, you know, having a glass of wine. Um, and this is the you know the first time I'd seen all these real leaders across all these different companies that had sort of Andres had put, brought together to talk about developer marketing. The idea of the book kind of got hatched out of that and. Nicholas was super engaged and super excited about doing it and really drove the creation of that. And so I was like happy to help out in any kind of way I could. Unfortunately, I didn't have the bandwidth to contribute a full chapter, but I was happy to write the forward because I felt like the forward sort of answered what I've been already talking about is the biggest challenge, which is how do you convince people that developers are the most important critical audience for you know the 21st century business um I, you know I, that's something i believe i believe you know technology is the driver of business innovation first of all second of all the masters of that technology is the developer not somebody else inside the business um, and third of all the way that technology consumption has changed in the last 10 years means that the power of technology decision-making has shifted out of the IT department into the active development. And it's because people, companies expect more out of their technology. They expect the technology to be more responsive to the business. And that's in response to customers saying, hey, why can't I do this on my mobile phone? Why can't this happen more quickly? Why can't I just do this while I'm sitting on the train instead of like, having to log on somewhere else? Like consumers are expecting more kind of agility out of their companies, out of the, customer, the companies they do business with, about the, out of the governments they do, they, they have responsibility for. 
they expect that kind of you know fast digital experience and the companies that don't understand that they're not going to survive they're not going to become successful and so the companies that do understand that are going to realize very quickly developers are the critical part here and that's why moving quickly and helping developers um, understand what your product or your technology is and using developers as your competitive difference maker is so incredibly important and that's one of the things they wanted to reinforce in the forward is that you know developers are at this point because of the way that business has changed in the last 15 or 20 years mm. and develop the power is in the hands of the developers and so understanding how to communicate with them is and having a strategy for being able to communicate with them it better become an integral part of every business's strategy because if they don't they're going to lose out to the ones that do understand that element and so yeah. for me that was why i was super interested in writing the forward because it feels like it's commensurate with the argument i've been making for the last 15 years about convincing business leaders about why developers matter and mm -hmm. and it's basically if you don't believe that premise, then the rest of the book doesn't mean much for you. Um, you've got to sort of believe that developers matter in order for you to think there's value in developer market. Mm, yeah, to see value in the book. It's, I, it, as I edited the book, I saw this common theme come through every chapter, and it's like the commoditization of development, really. It's become something that everybody expects, as you say. Consumers have this expectation, and developers have to follow through on that. Um, yeah, I think um, the, the book has done remarkably well. We've got to 10 five-star reviews on Amazon. You'll be pleased to hear. Um, okay. I, think a lot, I think a lot of people are, are, are picking up on that, um, and we've had some great feedback, and I'm sure there'll be another edition of the book coming out soon with um, you know, more chapters which echo a very similar um, theme. I wanted to move on a bit because we've been talking a lot about the, you know, the business side of it and get back to actually developers and developer communities, because that's something that we've been talking about on the podcast quite a bit. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about diversity. It's a hot topic um, and how we get an encouragement of people of different identities, how we encourage diversity in a developer community. And I wondered if you had any thoughts or if you'd worked um, in any particular area um, to, to kind of cover this. Yeah, I think it's. I think this is. In, I think there's two parts of this that are really incredibly important. One is, um, you know, diversity actually really increases the success of your business. Whether it's diverse viewpoints or diverse perspectives or diverse backgrounds or representation of uh, the diversity of your customer base, it's incredibly important in making sure that you're building things that are for all people. And anytime you have homogeneity, you can totally miss on those opportunities. Um, and so, like, actually having diverse representation inside your business is good for your business, first of all. Secondly, technology has really suffered from a lack of diversity. And I think it's super important that we acknowledge that and try to address it. And there are lots of things that Amazon does overall, where we're trying to move in this direction, and AWS in particular, um, where we try to engage with diverse groups. We've sponsored multiple diverse nonprofit organizations over the last several years. We run uh, diverse workshops inside the business. We engage very closely with various different 
uh, programs externally. We run a diverse speaker bureau where we can identify um, excellent speakers from diverse backgrounds around the world. Um, so there's a lots of parts where we think about that. But the most important part for me and somebody that runs an evangelism team is to try to think about how do we get those diverse voices public and visible to the people that are aspiring or interested or looking to join um, in uh, technology. We want to make sure that it's okay and very, very clear that it's fantastic to be from a diverse background. And that's, there's two parts of that. One, we've got to find the people that are willing to be those sorts of champions. And two, we've got to support them because the environment is, if you are public and talking about these issues, the environment can get very, very toxic very, very quickly. And we should have a very strong stance. Everybody in technology so have a very low tolerance for that kind of behavior. The bro programmer, the bro programmer mentality is just not okay. And, um, you know, I see this with people that I work with that are from diverse backgrounds that are in public facing roles. And I see sort of the back channel and the DM messages that they receive from certain people. If there's stuff, there's behavior that is just not okay from a lot of people across the broad technology spectrum. And the more we can acknowledge that that is not tolerated, the better off we'll be. And so I want to encourage people to be very vocal and visible uh, from diverse backgrounds and talking about their successes. But they should also talk about what their challenges and we should challenges are, and we should surface those and have no tolerance for the sorts of bad behavior that I see too commonly in a technical environment. Mm, I totally agree. I think, that's, I think that's a very important stance. And I think another interesting thing I was reading um, a couple of days ago was about um, how you can encourage the employees that you have to participate. So a very good example is that working women um, may often, you know, they've got their time set aside to work, um, but the rest of their time is is potentially taken up with family, childcare, whatever. That they may have less time and opportunity to participate, say, in open source or hackathons, um, than other people that don't have the um, additional kind of second or third shift um, that often falls to women. Um, so it's almost needs to be part of the time that they devote to their work um, that they can offer a certain percentage of their time to an open source community, for example, um, while they're actually on the job. Is that is that something that Amazon do? Because obviously Google have their you know they have their twenty percent time. Does Amazon have any kind of policies of encouraging open source participation just to get your diverse workforce out there? Well, I, I think um, so. We're we're an active participant in open source in lots of different areas. I don't think it's necessarily rooted in diversity. We actually think open source is an incredibly important part of the technical ecosystem. There's something that our customers really care about and we think is an important place for innovation occurs and you know, new ideas happen and it's a way to build really collaborative environments where we work with other people. So you can go to... Um, aws.amazon.com slash open source and you actually there's a whole list of the ways that we contribute and participate in the open source community whether it's foundation membership um, actual code contributions open source projects that we lead um, there's lots of different areas where open source matters um, and we're active in actively engaged with them 
this, you know, maybe that's an assistance for, di uh, for, for diversity, but, um, you know, that's not its primary purpose. For diversity, I think the more important thing is you want to make sure the internal culture of the company has the sorts of tools and mechanisms that make, um, uh, you know, an understanding about the workforce very, very clear that diverse uh, interests, viewpoints, and backgrounds are, you know, completely the norm and anticipated at the company. And I will say that AWS has become a really great place for me as a you know, a parent and a family member, understanding, there's a very understanding place when it comes to work-life balance. It's very understanding when there's a lot of work to be done, what things need to be done. It's very understanding when it comes to making sure there's an appropriate representation across staff in various different roles, whether it's gender or racial diversity. So there's lots of different programs involved at Amazon that make it a great place to work for whatever your background is. And it's something that we continue to focus on. Mm, that sounds great, but um, I'll definitely be looking for a few hackathons that run crashes and uh, various <laughs> other child care. <laughs> Continue <Yeah>. to push. <laughs> well, there's, lo there's, there's lots of other challenges about uh, uh, hackathons. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, crashes might be one of them. There are, there's, so there's a collection of programs that we run for AWS. In particular, if you look at our events, um, you know, we've got a, um, a you know, you know, a code of conduct policy that's very, very clear for all of our in-person events. We've got programs for um, our large-scale events like summits and reinvent. Summits are a free reinvent is a cost event, but we have mechanisms for encouraging different diverse groups for attendance to those. Um, we have programs at reinvent as well to, um, you know, um, help nursing mothers, for example. Um, so there's pieces of um, all sorts of programmatic support that goes into our marketing for technical communities that try to which we're trying to make an effort i'm sure we can do better and i'd love to hear ways we can do better we're trying to uh, you know make the effort to make it clear that um you know um any diverse background is accepted welcome and um encouraged to attend um aws events that's fantastic well, thank you very much, Adam. It's been really interesting to talk to you. Um, you're clearly really passionate about developers and developer marketing. And um, we really appreciated the contribution to the book as well. And, you know, kicking off, kicking it off in 2017, that's for sure. So um, thank you. And thank you to the listeners for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. If you want to listen to other episodes, you can subscribe at developermarketingpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ for regular updates. Thank you.